BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022. Investments like acquiring America's largest biogas producer, Arkea Energy, and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is the Victor Davis Hanson Show, and it is the Friday edition where we look at the news of the week and talk about all the interesting things going on this week. We'll look a little bit at Jeannie Thomas and her interaction with Mark Meadow. We'll look at the budget and we'll look maybe at some things about uh, Disney and their policies on LGBTQIA. And say a few things first, even before we get there on Ukraine and Hunter Biden, who seems to pop up everywhere in our news and is kind of a a rabbit hole down in which you never know what you're going to find there. But first, let's take a few moments for some messages. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be Continued at scs.georgetown.com. Edu slash podcast. Welcome back. I would like to remind everybody that Victor is the Martin and Neely Anderson Senior Fellow in Military History and Classics at the Hoover Institution and the Wayne and Marsha Buskey Distinguished Fellow in History at Hillsdale College. And Victor, how are you doing today? Doing very well, Sammy. I had, we had a little rain last week. There's still moisture in the air. There's always the faint idea that the drought may mitigate. We have about two more weeks in early April that we could get another rain. I don't want to quote the prophet Isaiah, harvest has passed and we were not saved. <laughs> so we've got to have more water. I'm not very optimistic about the domestic scene, but we'll talk about that yeah. until we have a great reset here at home, which I think is coming, but we won't have relief until November. Yeah. Okay. So let's take care of some of the smaller things first, which is Hunter Biden. We have some new news out on his laptop or not even new news. It just seems to come back again and again. I don't know when they're ever going to indict Joe Biden for being part of a shakedown of China and the Ukraine, but Um, What are your thoughts on the new information? Well, you know, what I think all of our listeners are angry about is that laptop emerged uh, in October because the Delaware pawn shop owner who Hunter dropped it off, I guess in a daze and never picked it up, he was concerned. So he gave it to the FBI and the FBI, as we know from interviews, just sat on it, i.e. they suppressed information. In a way, I mean, think of that just for a second, pause and digest that. So they got a laptop with incriminating evidence about the, not the president, but a nominee for the presidency, and they sit on it. And contrast that with James Comey, director of the FBI, going in and talking to the president in a private conversation and a assuring him falsely that he's not under investigation when he was and then b going right out 
to his car or vehicle and then on a FBI device memorializing his conversation with Trump and then using an intermediary to leak it. And that shows you the level of utter corruption in the FBI Washington hierarchy. And so they knew what was on that. And then they used, they being the left, they went and demonized anybody, Miranda Devine, the New York Post, anybody who wanted to get the news out. And then the social media kicked in and the whole administrative state, social media, regular media fusion worked. And that was not an issue. And then afterwards, we find out that they knew that the laptop electronically uh, had been verified and they knew what was on it. It was very incriminating. It's not about Hunter Biden. Everybody said that and they're right about that. Hunter Biden is a two-bit cokehead, former addict, a disgrace, amoral. If there was any morality in the Biden family right now, Joe Biden would say to Hunter, listen, these people are dying that you ripped off. And here's money from my security system. Here's money that you paid for my power bill. I want you to take all the money you gave the big guy and Mr. 10%, take it back, take all the stuff you haven't spent, all that money you extorted from Ukraine, give it back to aid to those poor people. If there was any justice in the world. But when you look at that laptop, the left's dilemma is right now, hmm, now on the one hand, the little angel on their shoulder, we could get rid of Biden. <laughs> That's an angel. <laughs> well, I mean, they're demonic, but I'm thinking they're really bright and they're flapping their little angel wings. Mm, Got it. It? <laughs> it would poor Joe. We loved him. He did his yeoman's work. He got us elected. He got the Bernie Sanders neo-communist socialist agenda in. Everybody hated it. So what? Uh, we don't care about the people. But uh, he's kind of served as usefulness, and now the guy is stark raving mad, and he's starting to get us embarrassed, and he's in, endangering our national security. So let's ease him out. So maybe we better go look at that Hunter Biden, i.e. Washington Post, New York Times. Oh, my God. Tony Bobolinsky that we demonized was right. It did. It was true. We're shocked. The president of the United States' son was shaking down these countries. Joe Biden may have tax and exposure himself. Do you really believe that Joe Biden paid income tax and all that money? Hunter says he owed a million dollars in taxes. So my point is that that's one side and the other side is, well, be careful. We could get Kamala Harris. So they're in a dilemma. And I think that... The laptop is very incriminating, and it will show that Joe Biden uh, is Joe Biden. That is, his son and he and his brother and his niece and all of them shook down China, and they shook down Ukraine, and they shook down Russia, and they made a lot of money. My only fear is that Vladimir Putin's got a whole file on him. This is what, exactly what they accused Donald Trump of. They accused Donald Trump of tax, uh, all sorts of machinations and irregularities until the New York federal prosecutor said, sorry, there's nothing there. And if there was any justice in the world, we'll hear, yes, there's any justice, we'll hear, yes, there is something there with Joe Biden. It's part of the larger phenomenon of a projection. As a general rule, anytime the left accuse somebody of doing something, it is a preemptive attack to shield, distract, et cetera, from their own culpability. So you call Donald Trump a tax cheat and everything, and then we don't talk about Joe and Hunter's tax problem. You call Russian collusion, Alpha Bank, uh, the Russian collusion hoax, and then you don't talk about Hillary Clinton using uh, Mr. Don Dolan and the Ukrainian-American, Russian-speaking Brookings Institute scholars, Dachinko, or I think that was his name, for tapping into Russian, i.e. collusionary sources to destroy Donald Trump. And that's what we're seeing here. Well, Victor, I don't think we're ever going to get rid of Hunter, but maybe we can turn to a different topic now. And I was wondering your thoughts on the war in Ukraine, how it's going, what the meaning of things is. I can't see quite where either the Ukraine or Russia will come together for a peace settlement, and I'm not hoping for World War III either. What are your thoughts? Well, as far as your comment about maybe we'll get 
never get rid of Hunter. Hunter's doing his best to get rid of Hunter. Uh, <laughs> Hunter has a little, two little devil horns on the back of his head, and he understands that he is the bad boy of the family that was the family bag man. He has this very sick relationship with his father that every time his father calls him in and says, Hunter, straighten up. He says, oh, straighten up. Where'd you get that big mansion, dad? Hey, dad, where'd you get that other house? Hey, dad, how did you and Jill get so wealthy? It was poor little Hunter that had to do the dirty work. So maybe I'll just be an artist. How's that? And sell stuff. Or And that's how he operates. And so Hunter's biggest fear is Joe Biden. They're, I mean, they're going to put a clamp, clamp on him if they can. Ukraine, as I, I think we're starting to see the contours of an eventual end of the war. And by that, I mean, it's true that Vladimir Putin miscalibrated the war and the methodology of the war and the trajectory of the war. And it's not Georgia. It's not uh, eastern Ukraine. It's not Crimea. It's Chechnya or Syria. We've all said that. But so where do we go now? I think what we're seeing is that slivers along the Russian-Ukrainian border in the east and along the Black Sea, where there's 50 to 70 percent of the population is Russian speaking, even though they probably don't want to join Russia, but they may. He's going to formally incorporate those. In other words, they're going to kill about 50 or 60,000 people for the uh, status ante quo bellum. And by that, I mean, we're going to go right back to where we are on the map of Ukraine and Russia right before the war started with one little caveat that he'll probably formally annex these countries or declare them independent republics so they won't they won't go ever back to ukrainian sovereignty and then and here's the kicker he will have a carthaginian peace and try to bomb 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 as much territory as many cities from Kiev to the Russian border that he can before the sanctions or his own losses are such that he uh, it's counterproductive. But I think a lot of his troops will gradually start to go to Belarus or to Russia, and then he'll use air power to cause mayhem. And then he will say to the Russian people, these counter, these European uh, Nazis, they were trying to threaten us. And we asked for a neutral Ukraine and they wouldn't give it to us and they were going to join NATO. And so now I can promise the Russian people from Kiev to the Russian border. It is a no-fly zone, demilitarized zone. In other words, you know, he he turned it into a desert and it yes. will take 30 years, he will tell people to rebuild. I'm not sure that's true because I think it'll be the cause celeb. Yeah. of every EU, NATO, North American, uh, British-speaking, uh, liberal Asian democracy uh, in the world as far as their foreign aid will pour into Ukraine. But that's his, that's his strategy, is to yeah. destroy what he couldn't take, and that's most people, and then declare victory. And yeah, I, a lot of people think he's insane, and he's crazy. I don't think he is. I think this was a fallback position he had all along. He's that's what he's going to do. He will also kind of sort of negotiate, kind of like a little dog that comes up to you and pets you and then snaps you and then you're ready to snap him back or hit him and he just smiles and then you think he's all right. And then he backs your, that's what he'll do. I'm withdrawing. Oh, we didn't really mean to bomb that. We're on our way out. So the Ukrainians have to really step up their offensive operations as they're going they cannot allow them just to leave they should fight them all the way back to the border so that he doesn't play that sort of kind of peace war stuff yeah yeah i like your reference too to putin's excuse for going in about nazification because this week the patriarch of moscow came out and said that the reason for going in was to avoid the spread of gay pride parades to the east and i thought that was particularly I, you know I, this sounds like a, a broken record but he's got all of these philosophers he's got these orthodox principles he's got all of these people who and then he have him you know he was talking about rawling and Harry Potter and how unfairly she was treated by Western left. So he's, they're doing their best to say to traditional Europeans and Americans, you guys are living in a woke prison and we represent 
the traditional Western civilization Christian values. And it's very important that conservatives not fall for that. Yeah. Vladimir, there are people in Russia and Eastern Europe that that may be true. Of. It's not true of Vladimir Putin. He poisons people. He assassinates people. He kills people. He's killed about 80,000 Chechenians in a nine-month war. He killed thousands of Syrians. He's a prince of darkness. And that doesn't mean we dare demonize as we're doing, you know, Russians in Hollywood movies, or we're not going to the ballet, or we're, we're boycotting Russian chess players, just like we did with the Japanese in World War II, Japanese-Americans and legal residents of Japanese descent, and just as we did banning German in World War One. So we have this, I wrote a column today about you really cannot get into that hysteria that we're seeing all things Russia bad, all things Ukraine good. Zelensky on the moral compass is far better man than Putin. He's got a far better cause, but it doesn't mean that Ukraine is not corrupt. It doesn't mean that Zelensky is a democratic saint. He just suspended all political opposition something Churchill or Roosevelt never did during a war. And it doesn't mean that all Russians are bad. Those 18-year-olds that are fighting are not bad kids. And the idea that we're going to gloat that dogs are tearing apart their corpses is sick. Yeah. So we want this war to be over. We want Russia to be defeated. We want it to learn its lesson. And we assume that we may not win, we the West, because he has a very strange, very different view of looking at the world. And a lot of Russians do. And they'll see this and they'll say, well, we lost all these people, but we did eliminate the immediate Western dash Ukrainian threat to our borders. It's preposterous, but it's preposterous to us and maybe not to them. You know, there, I have one more question on this that I was reading an article in Spiked and they were talking about NATO and they said, well, NATO leaders are talking a strong support of the Ukraine, but their very actions are to hold back and it doesn't look like they really do want to provide this. So the word and deed are at odds with each other, with these European states and with the NATO states. And the article concluded by saying that NATO contrary to what it was you know, 50 years ago or during the Cold War phase, has now become a destabilizing and incoherent force. And I was wondering what your thoughts were on that. People have said that. It's very funny about the politics of that. That was originally a left-wing idea. I mean, I lived in Greece in 73, 74, 78, 79, and I lived at various times in, 80, in the 80s for a month or so. And exo NATO was the big Greek chant. Got to get all NATO troops out of Hanya Crete or Marathon. And they did, except for the NATO base in Hanya. And that was the European mantra. And that was the left wing here. So when Ronald Reagan bombed Gaddafi in 1986, all the left got furious. And now all of a sudden they flip and NATO is a woke force as they flipped on the U.S. military, as they flipped on the IRS, the FBI. These are all good institutions now because they can fast track woke doctrine, whether that defined as green fanaticism or critical race theory or LGBTQ issues in a way that clumsy legislatures can't. So when they look at NATO, they think it's a liberating force, but whatever their own particular views is, NATO rests on one principle, even though it's kind of ambiguous about Article 5 that you have to go to the aid of an endangered country, it does at least create a different type of alliance than many alliances. Many alliances allow people to fight a common enemy, but they don't suggest that one member who is attacked by an enemy, that enemy then instantly becomes the enemy of all the NATO members. And that's what the NATO charter essentially does. And when you have a, a charter like that, and you have 30 countries, many of them have no material, I don't know, pluses for the alliance. So when you start letting in members of the Baltic states or former Eastern European countries, you better be very careful because you're getting exposure by that, I mean, you're getting a country that lives in a dangerous neighborhood that has no wherewithal. So basically, that says to NATO, would you please subsidize me? And I can be provocative to my enemies because I'm in NATO. 
but I can't contribute anything or I can meet my 2% that, that consists of 10,000 troops and some old weapons. So what we've done with NATO, we've, we've just quadrupled the areas of contention all over the borderlands between you know, Eastern Europe and Russia, all the way from the Baltic Sea, pretty much down to the Black Sea. And we haven't gotten commiserate willpower or material assistance from these new NATO members. This is what Trump, in a very clumsy way, was trying to say. And he was right about that. And so I think we'll learn one thing is that if you put a nation into NATO, then you better be very prepared to go to war on that nation's behalf. If you're not, then don't put it in NATO. And a lot of people say, well, that's crazy. We... They're protective. People don't, they don't touch them. I don't think that's true at all. I don't think if Putin is still in power, he might want to just go into Latvia just for the hell of it to say, this is a NATO country. What are you going to do about it? I don't think anybody would go to war over Latvia. I wish, you know, that's terrible to say that, but that's what the problem with NATO is. It's too big. It's too flabby. And it's driven by a European ideology of a therapeutic mindset. And it used to be balanced by the United States. But when the United States goes woke and goes hardcore green and hardcore transgenderism, marginalized people, all of that race, gender, all that stuff, then there's no counterbalance to Europe. It's an accelerant. The only good thing about that is the irony that when the Europeans want to play Greek philosophers to Roman legions, well, I, you know, we have to advise those muscular Americans, you know, they go in like, Team America and break things, but we'll point them in the right direction. We are Socrates and Plato, and you know these are basically you know Crassus or somebody or Caesar with a legion. They can't do that anymore because if they try to do that, this left-wing American leadership will say, "Fine with us. We don't believe in force either." And then the Europeans go, "Hmm, you have to believe in force so we can ankle bite you." You've got to come and protect us so then we can say that you're fascist for protecting us. If you don't play that role, what are we going to do? We don't sound intellectual and then we don't have an army to protect us and we'd have to arm ourselves. So that's where we are. And that's the only good thing about it. They got what they wanted with a sober, judicious, supposedly non-Trump president. And they ended up with a complete lunatic, mad, raving Joe Biden and a woke squad and Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders and the Obamas advising him. And that's not what it's in their interest. And they know it. Yeah. Okay. Let's take a moment for some messages and then we'll come right back to talk about Joe Biden's new budget. And we'll be right back. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Whoa, sweet man cave. Thanks. Serious upgrade. How'd you pay for all this? I got a home equity line of credit from Figure. I was approved in five minutes and had funding in five days. Wow, that fast and easy? Yep. The application is 100% online, plus no out-of-pocket costs. Just fast access to the cash you need. How do I get started? Go to figure.com and get that serious upgrade. Figure Lending LLC, DBA Figure, Equal Opportunity Lender, NMLS 1717824. Terms and conditions apply. Visit figure.com for more information. For licensing information, go to www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. All right, welcome back. So Joe Biden has published his budget, some $5.8 trillion of a budget. I'm a bit confused on how the deficit is going to be reduced by this, and I'll let you talk about that in a moment. Let me just identify some areas that were of particular interest to the left, probably. But uh, he has a new minimum income tax for billionaires at 20% over 100 million in income, a new corporate tax rate of 28%, increased defense spending by $813 billion, 
uh, that's the total amount he hopes to spend on defense, which is interesting to me since the Democrats tend to be very anti-defense, but a boost in law enforcement by $32 billion for things like community policy, violence intervention, and gun trafficking initiatives, and a proposal for investment in the supply chain as well. So by listing all of those, and of course there are many more, I'm trying to point out the interests of the left, and I do think the supply chain and their um, law enforcement and even their military, everything's being upped in a way that you can tell that they're, they're actually- Build back better under another name, you know, $5 trillion. So, well, it's sort of like we all go through that. I remember in the 1980s when I was in my 30s, I was trying to, in my 40s and the early 90s, I was trying to, you know, write a book called Co-Author Who Killed Homer and I had Carnage and Culture and Soul About, and I was just coming home and I was going upstairs where I'm sitting now and trying to write till two in the morning, get up at six. And one of the ways I kept doing that, I had a health consequence, was drinking sodas. I haven't had a Coca-Cola or a Pepsi in 30 years, but I did drink a lot then, mostly Dr. Pepper, and I gained weight. And one day I got on the scale and I said, you know, you may think you're 6'1 and you have a big frame. That's what people lie to themselves when they're too heavy. And I said, but man, you're getting fat. And so I lost 10 pounds. And I told everybody, I've never lost so much weight. And somebody said to me, you're still fat. And the point is that Joe Biden, he ran up a $2 trillion deficit and Trump had run up a two trillion. It was all for COVID relief. And now he says he's cut a trillion dollars. It's the biggest cut in the world, but he's got a $1.1 trillion deficit. And over the next 10 years, the debt, which is now $30 trillion, is scheduled, scheduled to get up to $40 trillion. And we know when that happens, and it's happening now, if you get up to five and six and 7% in T-bills and, and the interest rate, then just do the math. You can't really run a government or you can't run these entitlements. So Joe Biden is being Joe Biden. That is, he's a pathological dissimulator. And he's telling everybody, biggest reduction in the deficit. If he really cares about the deficit, reduce it to $100 billion and cut. But he's just spending money, and you see where this is going. This is unsustainable. And at one key moment, we're starting to see this billionaires thing. We're starting to see where this is going. It's the opposite, again, of the Reagan, you know, starve the beast. And that means make so many tax cuts that you run up deficits that the tax cuts are untouchable, but the social spending will be cut. This is gorge the beast. Spend so much on this stuff, it's unnecessary, that you have to raise taxes. And that is a good thing in itself. And so that's what he's doing. And when you look at how he's going to raise it, you know, everybody say billionaires. Yeah, I don't like Bill Gates. Let's tax Mark Zuckerberg. Okay, but they're never going to be really taxed. And, and they're talking about unearned income. So people have their little 401ks that goes up and down, up and down. But if you were of a certain net worth, you would be paying taxes when it's high. And then I guess you'd have to, I don't know how you would recorrect when it's low, but they would never be realized profits. They would all be theoretical as your 401ks are until you retire and start drawing on them. You read the defense budget. I think we're building three ships, three ships. Mm. <laughs> we're we're getting down below 300. The Chinese are building about 25 this year. Wow. So when you look at the defense budget and we always say, well, we spend more than the next 30 countries in the world. Yes. But look at the defense budget of China and look at where the money is going versus our defense budget is so heavily leveraged by lucrative retirements, lucrative health plans, lucrative social programs, LGBTQ programs, woke program. It's not being spent efficiently. And to the degree that we're buying weapons, it's in this labyrinth of the Pentagon appropriations and contractors. And if you really wanted to worry about the budget, you'd get Al Simpson back with bowls and you would have that commission and you would say, you know, let's just update it. And we would start freezing spending 
and go to a three-tier, you know, very simple tax code, one rate, two rate, three rates, and you could save people time, you could save money, you could balance the budget. They're never yeah. gonna do they're never gonna do that. So I, I don't think they want to do it. I really do think that they want these great deficits because they feel that it does two things. It cheapens the amount, the value of money by ensuring inflation and those that have money and sit on it, whether they're just a retiree with a passbook account or whether they're a wealthy person with a big T-bill, whatever it is, they want that value to be redistributed to somebody that doesn't have it, who's sitting home getting seven or 800 a week and working weekends for cash. So they like it. They really do like it. And so that's one thing to remember about this plan. And the deficit is also good because they feel that there's certain untouchable things and eventually you won't be able to fund defense. So you won't be able to fund any of the necessary things, which they don't believe in. Yeah. Budgets are, budgets are political. They always have been. They always will be. Yeah, of course. It's a democracy. AOC came out a little bit disenchanted by Joe Manchin, who I believe is not going to support the budget, and said that I thought it was interesting what she said. She said, gone are the days are the smoky backroom deals and that the president should just do things by executive order. But what was even more, I, I want your thoughts on that, but what was even more interesting is the article I was reading said that she's remaking the Democratic Party into young, tech savvy, and willing to break with tradition. And I don't know if you see that as her paving a path. It reminds me, I won't mention this city, but it was in this area when I was teaching. I used to go to a Starbucks and there was a former student who was a barista there, very left wing. And when she would see me, she would spout off. Hey, old prof. Hey, you got. And it was just like AOC. It was totally ignoramus. And but she was sort of young and attractive. And she had the entire Starbucks crowds captivated by her rants. That's AOC. She's never. What has that woman ever done? Think about it. Has she ever written a book? Has she ever run a nonprofit? She did nothing other than run in a primary in a freak year with a lazy incumbent and a overwhelmingly unhinged electorate, which barely turned out. And there she is advising. If the Republicans spent $1 billion a week, they could not find a better advertisement than her for their cause. And so when she says, think of that, no backroom deals. Backroom deals were consensual. That is, Mayor Daley got in with Mayor Rizzo. All the old Democrat mayors got together in a back room and they said, ah, that guy's a commie or that guy's, we want a right wing union guy or what are we going to do with Jimmy Hall? And, but they voted. Yeah. She's talking about a cesarean executive order. And what would his executive orders be? They would be backroom calls from AOC. She'd call up Joe Biden and say, if you don't do this, the squad's going to be unleashed on you. Backroom. And then he would issue a fiat. And that's what she's talking about. What she doesn't understand is she's a politically inert property. And she's going to see in November, and I say this again, I hope I'm not proven wrong, but I think you're going to see a, a reset that we've never experienced. I mean, 72 seats in 1938, and it was 63, I think, in 2010, and, and earlier in 94, it was 53 or 52. It's going to be of that magnitude because there's not one issue, not one, that anybody agrees with, not the border, not race relations, not inflation, not gas prices, not energy development, not Afghanistan, nothing, nothing. And more importantly, the people who are pushing those issues have no redeeming popularity to counteract their unpopular issues. So when you look at Joe Biden, you just want to turn the television off. When you listen to Kamala Harris, it's the cackling of Hillary Clinton without a former political record, at least. There's nothing there and there's nothing in the issues and people are really, and these people are so egocentric, narcissistic, they double down and they think AOC says, I'm young, I'm attractive, I'm a trendsetter, I'm a cutting age person. No, you're the kind of person that gives us $7 a gallon diesel fuel. You're the kind of person who regulates to $1,000 a square foot 
for a home. You're the type of person when you walk into a store, everybody's noticing what race each person is as we're back to pre-Civil War days, I guess. You did all that. And you're going to be held accountable for it because they're going to vote you like they did McGovern and like they did Dukakis. And that, remember what happened with McGovern? Same thing. Let's hijack the Democratic Party, get rid of that awful Hubert Humphrey, who almost actually beat Nixon, came within almost 100,000 votes. That's the old white man, 1972, worthy cutting. And what happened? One of the biggest landslides in history in 72. And then they did it again. They had everything going for them. George H.W. Bush was not a good candidate. He was whiny. He wasn't Ronald Reagan. And they nominated another northern liberal, Mike Dukakis. And what was the anecdote very quickly? The anecdote was, can't do that again. Let's go get a guy who's least acts conservative, a Southern governor, Jimmy Carter. And then when Dukakis, remember when he imploded, can't do that again. Let's get next time around Bill Clinton, 92. And that's what they did. And so, and everybody said, well, Victor, that can't happen because this is a racially diverse country now. And this is very, uh, people are not cis anymore. They're gay or they're bi or they're, you know, it's not the America that you old white men. People are people. The human nature is human nature. It doesn't care about your superficial appearance. People don't want to pay high prices. They don't like socialism, et cetera. And they're going to be a reaction. And I don't know what the anecdote will be. It won't be Gavin Newsom. Maybe they can find a doctrinaire Democrat who happens to be gay like that Jared Paulus in Colorado. Maybe that would work for them. Yeah. Something like that. Maybe they'll get Andrew Cuomo to come back, huh? Yeah. Oh, who great. That who would knows? be fun. That would be another rabbit hole like Hunter. Well, I mean, <laughs> it's crazy. That's like, say, it's, is it as crazy as saying, let's get Cory Booker so he can gush again about uh, the Supreme Court nominee, or maybe we can get Beto coming off a spectacular defeat in Texas, or maybe we can get Mike Bloomberg, 70, he'll be 80 to give us another lecture on agriculture. We can bring back Bernie at 82 for more of the socialism that he got enacted via Joe Biden. That worked. I mean, Pete Buttigieg, he's got a great career at the transportation secretary when he went on, what, maternity leave and let the port of LA blow up? And then gave a lecture that when you have high gas prices, you just might want to take the bus. Yeah. Well, the Democratic. There's nothing there. There's no there. There's no there there. Yeah. It looks pretty barren right now in that Democratic landscape. But you never know. You know, Napoleon may show up or some such person. Well, they have a lot. People have to remember when when somebody listening to this says, well, Victor, they may win. Yes. But it won't be because of their political candidates. It will be because they have enormous leverage and power. They don't have the people. They can tell you that Hunter Biden's laptop is Russian disinformation. The media can. And more importantly, they can go to the deep state and get James Clapper and John Brennan to swear that that's Russian disinformation. Yeah. And then they can go to Wall Street and they can tell Jamie Dimon or they can tell a Disney executive, you've got to go green or you've got to go full gay in your corporation or they can get the nba and they can be be like a lebron buy his shoes be and they can get a chinese angle through them so yeah it's they control so many levers of influence and opinion that they always have a chance they can get i mean you can get the most inept candidate to run in 2024. But if Mark Zuckerberg pours $420 million into select precincts and the other Silicon Valley people chip in, you know, 3 billion or something, yeah, they can do it. Yeah, well, they could get Joe Biden elected and he sat in his basement for most of the- They're not gonna get him reelected. He's not going to run again. No, and it'll be a 50-50 proposition if he finishes his term. He has deteriorating I've said this before, geometrically, not arithmetically. By that, I mean each week, the rate of decline increases. The rate, not just the decline, the rate of decline increases from the prior week. And we're going to be having, we have a rendezvous with a scene very soon if they keep unleashing him in the national stage where he will be a deer in the headlights and be utterly incapable of explaining what the United States is going to do in front of the world audience. And at that point, the Democrats, they're going to have to explain to us 
why they put this candidate up. And we're going to have to explain to ourselves why we voted for this person, we being the American people, because for all the corruption in the election laws and engineering and COVID and all that stuff, I still believe Biden won the popular vote. And that's an indictment of the American people or the media's influence upon them. Yeah. So let's take a few moments for some messages and then come right back and talk about Jeannie Thomas and the text messages with Mark Meadows. Welcome back. And Victor, we have Jeannie Thomas. I know that it's sort of strange to have the spouse of the person that you're after attacked or maybe not so strange, but she apparently after or during January 6th was texting Mark Meadows about keeping Trump in the office and had ties with organizations like Stop the Steal Operation and such. What are your thoughts on what the left is attempting to do with assailing old Jeannie about her text messaging at that time? There's so many aspects of the story. Jeannie Thomas is a conservative, just like Ruth Bader Ginsburg's husband was a Democratic activist. No different. And if it's you're not supposed to, I mean, be political. Sotomayor is very political and more political than Clarence Thomas, not through his wife, but just herself. And so my point is they understand that it's asymmetrical, that they act toward just uh, Clarence Thomas in a particular way. They do not act toward sort of my year, or they didn't act toward Ruth Bader Ginsburg. Remember, this is Ruth Bader Ginsburg was a person who said, I would like to use foreign constitutions to improve our own, such as a South African constitution. Or she said, what's the big deal about abortion? They're aborting the right people, aren't they? That was to a New Yorker reporter, and they didn't do a thing. So they have no credibility about disinterested coverage. The second thing is they hate Clarence Thomas. Everybody who listened to that, they hate him. And they hate him because he is an African-American conservative, just like they hate the wonderful Tom Sowell or my other colleague, Shelby Steele or Robert Woodson. And they hate them for two reasons. If you're African-American and you face all of this pressure that comes out of the civil rights to be left wing and you're not left wing, that reveals one thing, you're very, very bright and you're very independent and therefore they cannot tell you what to do. And so they hate those people and they hate it in a very racist way. They've, and I'm talking about the white liberal bicoastal elite. It's like, Justice Thomas, you don't know what I've done for black people. And here you dare join our enemies. You have no right to do that. And they try to destroy them. And they've tried to destroy Clarence Thomas for 30, 40 years. They hate him. And it's really funny now with Katanji Jackson, because you cannot mention one discrepancy in her record, one inexplicable sentencing of a porn peddler, anything like that. Because if you do, you're racist, but you can go ahead and you can just destroy Clarence Thomas, his wife's reputation, any way you can. It's really a mindset. This is very valuable to all of us, again, to be as a reminder there is something that we have never discussed as a nation, and that is the propensity of very wealthy, influential, white, progressive elites and their difficulty with race. And this hardcore leftist, marginalized people, critical race theory, critical legal theory, the adopt adaptation of 1619 from the con original constitution where you you don't only adapt it from it, you adopt it as a foundation. All of that stuff, all of that stuff is some kind of psychological mechanism for not feeling comfortable with people other than themselves. So it's sort of like, I'm going to live, you know, I'm going to live in Knob Hill or Pacific Heights, and I'm going to feel really good about myself. It's mostly going to be very wealthy white people. But I'm going to be hard on Jeannie Thomas and Clarence Thomas to show all black people how liberal I am. And, and that's what they do. Yeah. And they're, they're really a weird bunch of people. I've spent most of, unfortunately, a lot of my life around them because of the business I've been in. And 
as you get older, you just finally say, you know what? No moss. It's very hard to take this, yeah. this ha- hatred of conservative and traditional Black Americans by the wealthy white progressive elite. Again, if you try to think up of something that would hurt the Black community, then you would do something like the following. How do we get this so that these Black people defund the police in the inner city so you cannot stop young Black male turf wars or gang wars or drug wars so they kill seven or 8,000? Defund the police. Yeah, just say, you know what? The police are the enemy of the Black community. Pull them out and let those people shoot. Or, hmm, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, you know, she pulled back the cloak when she said that, that one moment, what's the problem with abortion? They're aborting the right people. So we got to say, you know, abortion is freedom of choice and everything. But wait, they're aborting 50, almost 50% of abortions are black people. Oh, I didn't know that. And so everything that is very destructive to the black community, whether it's defunding the police, abortion on demand, equity grading, separate lenient sentence that boomerangs and injures the black community has been thought up by a white progressive who adopts black elite wealthy progressives and is in concert with poor blacks that go out and demonstrate and both all of that is directed at conservative independent thinking black people and i hope that that 100-year tradition will end pretty soon because it's been so destructive of American life in general and the Black community in particular. Yeah, it sure has. Well, let's turn to a final subject, just maybe, a, I always say, a small one, and then you, you get a hold of it, and it's like, wow, I didn't know that it had so many roots on it. But the Ron DeSantis' bill on you know, forbidding instructing young kids K to third grade, I think, in sexuality has rooted out the Disney world. And a young man with a blog, Chris Rufo, I believe. Rufo, he's a very good. He's a very good writer. He's a wonderful writer for City Journal, and he's he's got some of the best stuff out on the various indoctrination methods that the left uses in the workplace. And so he's found another one in Disney as he's recorded one of the executives of television animation from Disney that she said, well, all I did was take care of all of our programming and just wherever I could, I added queerness. And I was wondering your thoughts on Disney's policies. Well, what she's basically saying is, We have so, we on the left have so intimidated the corporate world and we boycott, we call them racist. We try to destroy the individual careers by going to people's houses and demonstrating that even though we are a minor percentage of their consumer base and their income, bottom line, we magnify our importance because conservatives and traditionals don't do that. Live and let live. Let's go to Disneyland. I don't care about politics. I just want to get the kids to go see Mickey. That's it. Whereas the left said, I can't sleep at night. The very idea that somebody might not want to bake me a cake. That's the difference. And so they always intimidate these spineless and the corporate CEO, not all of them, but a lot of them are sort of people their entire life did not speak out and they got along and they moved up the chain of command and they're not going to be controversial. And they mistakenly think that the power, because it's a media, academic, political power is the only power. And that's behind the LGBTQ agendas. And so they caved. What will be interesting is if the traditional conservative consumer, which is the majority of consumers, finally says to themselves, look, these people are hijacking our country. I'm just going to have to tell Tommy and Timmy, we're not going to go to Disneyland because you know what? They're trying to destroy people like us and the nuclear family, and they make fun of us, and they have gay agendas. So I want to just end with three observations. If you got together and you were a bunch of, I don't know, supposed deplorable white working class, irredeemables, chumps, dregs, and clingers, and you said, I don't like Disneyland. 
I think there's an African-American gay woman somewhere in the shadows at Disneyland, and she's secretly putting messages into the cartoons, or she'll have a, a film, and then the background kind of fuzzy. There's two women kissing, and they insert little imagery any chance she can. People would say, you are out of your blank, blank mind. What's wrong with you? You better take yeah. some, yeah, I don't know, antidepressant or lithium crystals. You're nuts. Well, that person would be correct, as they always increasingly are about the left. Second is, think of the attitude of these people on the Oscars. Gay, 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 gay. How is it, Flor? There was never a law that says <laughs> you can't say gay. So they just made all that up. Hey, everybody, they said that you can't teach sexuality to a five-year-old. That's the same thing as you can't use the word gay. So we're not going to really tell the truth. We're just going to say you can't say the word gay. And that's what they're doing. And then yeah. third, I, I really like this. We're not teaching critical sexual education theory. We're not teaching transgenderism. We're not teaching homosexuality to five to six years old. But don't dare outlaw that. <laughs> so if you're not doing it, why would you worry about outlawing something that would be irrelevant? And the answer is that, like everything with the left, they're doing it, only they don't call it, you know. Remember when Donald Kagan and the Bass family really, in a very principled manner, were going to found a kind of a Western civilization traditional tract, and then everybody sort of poured into the program, and it was Western Civ, but... And they had all of these agendas in there and the, and the family pulled out their money. And that's what the left does. They always have a class in the university like Civil War history. It reminds me, I was once at University of California campus, I won't mention once, and I said, there's not one class, I was on military history, I said, there's not one course in your catalog on the Civil War. And I knew that I'd get a question. I had studied it pretty carefully there catalog and a professor got up and said, I don't like this disinformation. We've got a stunning, really important class. It was something like feminism and gender identity and post-Civil War reconstruction. And so that's what the left does. They, they put these titles and then the real thing, you have to look at the reading list. So they are teaching these topics. And their only problem the left has, they got a guy called DeSantis, and he's decided that he is going to be Donald Trump without the Donald Trump tweets. In other words, he's going to be just as tough, just as combative, just as much pushback. But so far, he's not going to tweet about Anthony Fauci throwing like a girl or something or that horse face Stormy Daniel. And we'll see how that works. Yeah, I think that they also want to make it so people signal that they're on the team, right? So if you say the term Latinx, you're on the team. If you use the word Hispanic, comrade. you're not on. Oh, yeah. Oh, comrade. Fellow yeah. traveler. No, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's comrade. And, and they have about five of them, Latinx. Yeah. In my hometown here that I'm speaking from, I don't think there's one. Per, I've never, I swear to God, I've never. And I see mostly Mexican-American people and Mexican nationals every single day. Yeah. At the store, at the barber, everywhere, at restaurants. I talk to, I know, I have never heard that word used one time. Not even by young people that go to Cal State Fresno, not once. And yet I've heard it at Stanford all the time. I read it all the time. It's a white person's word. It's yeah. a white person's word. And that's a little tip off. And diversity, equity, inclusion, inclusion. that's another one. Equity grading. It's all, oh, yeah. it's all about. I feel so guilty, whether you're a wealthy, marginalized person, marginalized person. I was just thinking about Will Smith and the Oscars, marginalized person. When all this came out and what he did, there's a story, I think it's in the New York Post, about his Calabasas mansion. And you should see this thing. It's, it's like William Randolph Hearst. And the idea that he is a person of color who's been marginalized is a joke. He's a multi, multi almost a billionaire. And he's one of the most, the elite privileged people in the world. And the idea that you can go, you know, if you ask somebody in the Oscars 30 years ago, what would get you kicked out of the Academy? What, can you, <laughs> what, would, what would be the worst thing you could do at an Oscars to be ostracized? You know what it would be? If you stood up without being called on and interrupted somebody and used the F word and shouted that out on national TV, stop. <laughs> 
blank F blank my wife. That alone should have got him kicked up. What would be the second worst thing you could do? Kind of what would Kanye West did when the musical award, just to go on the stage on announce and disrupt something? That would have got anybody kicked off. What would be the third thing? Well, it would be hitting a person. And that's all. I don't understand this. It says, well, Chris Rock, is he going to press charges? I didn't know that a felony, which is assault, depended on whether somebody presses charges. So if I walk into Home Depot and a guy comes up and clubs me over to the head, do the police not arrest him? They call me up and say, you got knocked out. You're in a pool of blood. The guy hit you over the head. Are you going to press charges? <laughs> We're driving and a guy ran through the stop sign and told your car and you're in the ICU. And they come in and say, the guy who... Are you going to press charges against that guy driver that almost killed you and your family? No. I mean, that's not what happens. There is something called a DA. He went up on a stage and hit somebody physically and assaulted him. And where is the DA to just go over there and say that is a felony and you are arrested? And this whole idea, you know, I'm, I'm so sick of this therapeutic, apologetic culture. So this man uses the F word. He disrupts the situation, even though he was laughing, apparently, at the joke until his wife gave him. And then there was that whole other subtext about their, quote unquote, open marriage and his insecurities about such. But that's besides the point. Then he goes up and breaks up the ceremony. And then he goes on stage and hits somebody. And then they apparently say, you, you said the F word. You broke up the ceremony and then you hit somebody. Would you please leave? Well, no, I'm going to go party at the party. Okay, that's fine. Go party. That is where we are in this country. Yeah. If any of our listeners, just imagine any of our listeners, they went to a corporate board meeting of shareholders, a shareholder meeting, or they went, remember the school board, the school board meeting in Virginia? Yep. Some guys got up and said, you guys are teaching critical. And they called the police on them. And now we find out that Merrick Garland was investigating them. Yeah. And Merrick Garland go investigate the production of the Oscars to see who is conspiring to beat up people on national television and salt them. So any, any person that's listening to this, whether it was a school board meeting or a shareholders meeting, if you got up and you started yelling the F word, try it at a city council meeting, they will forcibly eject you. And if you go up there and you say to your school board rep, you F F F, and you slap that person, I guarantee you, you will be indicted for a felony. This is a joke. And you know- yeah, I think we're all- I think we're I'm, all enraged, too. I, I, I am enraged because this is what I heard before the ceremony. I heard this is the first Black-produced Oscars. And it's not going to be the old, you read articles about what, what the production, and, and this, this is a new constituency. And it's not going to be 12% African-Americans as proportional represent that was a big cry in the 80s and 90s we want proportional representation it's going to be more than that okay like commercials and what my point is it was black 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 and i thought to myself why do that why not just be people 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 who happen to be black i don't care if there's a hundred percent blacks up there but as long as they don't say we're a hundred percent blacks and this is a black thing you won't understand so they do it and then it turns out to be an utter joke. I mean, they had these three women up there that were just scream, you know, gay, 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 and mis misrepresenting in a politicized, weaponized fashion Florida when 60% of the Floridians support DeSantis. So that was a turnoff for the majority of people. And then they had that video, the, some of the videos were sort of pornographic. And then this, and I said, well, you guys said that this was going to be unique black produce. So then when it goes bad and then do people say, well, the black producers and the idea that you were going to weaponize this in a racial fashion, then you're culpable. And the answer, of course, is that's racist. Mm -hmm. So I think we got in this country decide what we want to do. If you want to go down the tribal trajectory, road, pathway, and you want to say, I am white, 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 or black, 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 or a Latino, Latino, and that is better, better, better. Then when things don't work out, 
then people are going to say, well, then when you're white, 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 or black, 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 or Latino, Latino, and it goes bad, it's your collective fault. Because that's what we're doing in this country. We're using, now it's just white people. It's collectively white. When Millie said white rage, he didn't say some white rage. He said white rage and white supremacy. And they mean everybody. Confess your privilege. If you're white, you're convicted. But they don't understand that when you go down that route, it's reciprocal. It always is. There's a divine power in the universe called karma or nemesis or God, and it's equal. And some of the people understood that in the black community. They said, oh, my God, we took ownership of this, that we control the Oscars now, even though we're only 12 percent of the population. And we were going to be better than anything. And we did the most colossal screw up in the world. And those racists are going to blame us for it. No, they're not racist. They're saying you wanted all the credit and it's yours. You own it. And if you want to brand that as black, then you own it when it goes bad as black. And I think that should be a wake up call that no tribal group should ever collectively put race and tribe in ahead of excellence or meritocracy. And it's just so sad because I'm not just trying to virtue signal, but when I was growing up, my favorite actor was Sidney Poitier. I saw even in bad movies like The Long Ships, he was a great actor. It wasn't just in Heat of the Night. He was always, Lilies of the Field was one of the best performances I've ever seen. You didn't even know he was black at some point. And then my second favorite actor is Denzel Washington. That's probably because of, (laughs) I have a fixation with Man on Fire. That's one of my favorite, you know, that great line where (laughs) he's, uh, creating a master his masterpiece yeah yeah, masterpiece this is greatest that is one of the best performances i've ever seen an actor i liked him even the book of eli i like him in everything and but i never consider him black and to a lesser extent the same thing is true about morgan freeman as a great actor they never really said i am black i'm just better than most actors who are white are black and why the black community wouldn't claim those as role models and I don't I don't understand they were they were geniuses but I guess it's because they never thought that you advanced by saying you were black and so I've learned so much from Shelby Steele and Tom Soule but every time I'm with him and I used to eat lunch and I hope Tom is up to it again every couple of weeks with Tom for over 15 years and I never considered him black I mean He never talked about being black. He talked about sometimes the black leadership, but mostly it was about economics and liberals and the tragedy of America destroying itself and why we were doing hurting ourselves and education. We talked about autism, everything. But it was just assumed that he was a brilliant guy and we didn't have to talk about race because he was smarter than most people. He was better educated than most people of any race. I just wish that that would be the model. And I think the racial disparities would disappear almost immediately. But boy. Absolutely. So if I I could end it on a good note, because that slap was almost like a sucker punch and it was really hard. And old Chris Rock, old Chris Rock did not miss a beat. I was just, you know, that. He did say the S. I gave him a pass for saying he slapped the S-H-I-T you know, on national global television. But I thought, That's you know true. what? If somebody came up and hit me, it was much bigger. I have a right, I guess, in my extremist say S-H-I-T. And so, and Will Smith, you know, something about that guy laughing at the joke and then giving this look from his wife. And then he prances up and Mr. Macho. And then he's coward. He, if he really wanted to disrupt, the Oscars and say the F word and break up the the ceremony by uninvitedly getting on the stage and hitting somebody. He said he should have said this. Okay. Cause I, you know, there were people even at Fox news who said, Oh, he, he stood up for traditional values. No, he didn't. If he really did. And I had a member of my family where somebody insulted a female member of my family. I'm not going to get the details. It'd be too incriminating. That wasn't me, but this person in my family went up and said, you said this about my spouse and you harassed her. Now I want to know an explanation and you better give it to me. 
But he didn't, they would have never thought about just sucker punching. If he really did believe that, he would walk up and said, Chris Rock, you were rude. And that was cruel to my wife. And I want an accounting right now. And that would have been bad. He should have been banned and kicked off the stage. But it was not a felony. Yeah. And this academy, this was supposed to be the renaissance of getting marginalized people back into the flow. Second worst ratings in history. And that was pretty much, I mean, the other one was bad, but it was during COVID and had an excuse. So this is out of COVID. And still, it, it's the worst non-COVID Oscar ratings. That's going the way of the NBA. All of our major institutions, millions of people are disengaging. And they're disengaging culturally and socially from the progressive project. And they're sick of race, race, race. And they're sick of open border, open border. And they're not racist. And they're going to have their voices heard. And I don't think the Democrats have any idea. If Whoopi Goldberg, you know, says, you don't understand black people, they're different. That's how the, they're packaging this, they being the left. Well, you have to have special rules and exemption because unlike flabby, wimpy little white guys, these people, these people, these people, that's what they're saying, yeah. believe in honor. And so you should read Tom Sowell's book about <laughs> white rednecks, about many of the pathologies of the inner city came from the black experience in the Scottish Irish South, where the black community learned the pathologies of dueling and violence and physicality from whom? From white people on the plantation. And so it was not an indigenous African trait necessarily, that manifestation. Yeah. All right. Well, Victor, thank you for this roundup of the news at the end of the week. We appreciate it. And we would like to sign off now. Sammy Wink and Victor Davis Hansen. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening once again. <laughs>